Father, we praise you that we do not have to come here today out of some sort of effort or work to get to you. Because there's nothing that we can do to get to you on our own. So we praise you and we thank you that you, in your grace, you saw us in our helplessness, you saw us in our sin, you saw us in our brokenness, you saw us in our rebellion against you. And that you did not leave us in our helpless estate, but you sent your son, Jesus Christ, who came and perfectly fulfilled every good work that we could never fulfill on our own. Who stood in our place in death, who absorbed the fullness of your wrath against sin on the cross so that we, by faith in what he has done, not by works, but by faith, repent of our sins and turn to you and be saved. God, there's no words that we can sing or say that communicate how grateful we are for this truth. So Father, I ask that you would simply hear us say to you today, thank you. Thank you for the cross. And thank you for the hope we find in the gospel. So will you now use your word to help that message fall fresh on our hearts once again? Father, today as we open your word to see your instruction to us in the Great Commission that old things would fall on our hearts in fresh new ways. Lord, that you would challenge us, you would shape us, you would mold us, you would transform us. Holy Spirit, we yield to you. Have your way in this place. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and find your seats. Well, welcome. Uh, if you're here today as our guest, we're glad to have you here worshiping with us this morning. My name's Taylor. Serve here at Cross uh, as lead pastor and honored that you've uh, chosen to spend a morning uh, with us here today. I want to invite you to go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. I'll be in verses 16 through 20 this morning. Uh, if you're new with us, you don't have a Bible, don't own a Bible, please know that at the entry points on the way in or even as you're leaving today, uh, there are black hardback Bibles available. You feel free to grab one of those as you go to that's our gift to you. Uh, no strings attached. And my encouragement just to everyone uh, who gathers with us each week for worship is uh, just to bring a Bible with you that we engage the Word of God together. I am uh, te- definitely not uh, anti-digital. I'm preaching from an iPad for, for goodness sake. But uh, when it comes to the Word of God, I just, uh, I'm a little bit old school and I just don't believe there's anything that really replaces uh, just the paper copy of the word of God in our hands as we engage this uh, every single week. That's the form that God gave it to us in. uh, And I think there's something to be said about that. So my hope each week uh, is that you'll have a Bible with you though, as we engage these things together, uh, you're immersing yourself in the text as I'm teaching um, and uh, and just see what God does with that as we submit ourselves uh, each week to his word. So our aim here as a church, if you're new with us, is each week uh, we take a passage of scripture. We simply wanna open it up and I wanna do my best uh, to show us what it says, uh, what it means, how it points us to Jesus Christ, how we live our lives, lives uh, in response to that. And that's what we'll be doing uh, in Matthew's gospel together uh, today. So our youngest son, Lincoln, uh, who turns three in April, decided 
at a really young age that he was not going to be silenced, even as the youngest of three brothers. And so he is definitely our talker uh, and our loudest. And if you know our boys, like that's saying a lot that he uh, is, is, is louder than they are. But it's not uncommon that uh, as soon as you go in his room in the morning, uh, he jumps up out of his bed and he greets you by name. And then he immediately asks you like a million questions. And uh, most of them are, are, are subjects we have covered on numerous occasions uh, and, and, and quite in, in depth. And right now, his thing uh, when you go in his room in the morning is to ask if each individual member of the family is awake. Uh, So this happened the other morning. Emily goes into his room and she opens up the door and he jumps out of bed, mommy. And then he he yells her name. He's excited. He's jumping up and down his crib and he says, "Uh, am I awake? And mom says, yes. You, you, you are awake. And, and he goes, and you're awake? And she goes, yes, I'm awake. He goes, is daddy awake? Yes. Are the brothers awake? Yes. He's asking about the cat. He's like, is Nala awake? Yes. And there's more questions. Is the son awake? Yes, it is. Are we going to have breakfast? Yes, we are. Can we go to Chick-fil-A? He asks every single day. And so we, we, we have these same conversations every single day. And every one of these things are, are, are basic life necessities. All of us know, at least in our minds, we can't survive without some of the basic things he's asking about. And yet, uh, how often do we take these things for granted? How many of us woke up this morning uh, asking if there was breath in our lungs? Asking if there was going to be a sun in the sky? Asking, uh, many, hopefully uh, we're in a place and the Lord has, has blessed us to, to be able to, to have food in some capacity, to know that we, we need nourishment. We can take these things for granted very, very easily. So when it comes to the church, what are the very, very basic things, the basic necessities that God calls us to do and be that uh, if we were not doing them, if we cease to do these things, it would mean that we have ceased to be the church. What is our sun in the sky? What is our breath in our lungs? What is the food on our tables? The things that if we neglect them, it means that we are no longer being the church that Christ would have us be. The mission statement we embrace as a church family very simply says that we exist to preach the gospel and make disciples. For those of you following along in in your notes this morning, to to press into that a little bit more, to elaborate a little bit on that, what we're going to see from Matthew chapter 28, that is that as followers of Christ, we exist first and foremost to glorify God. And we do that primarily by being disciples who then in turn make disciples of all nations. But what I want you to see this morning and Lord willing for these next five weeks together as a church family is that uh, this is not just the mission of Cross Community Church. That this is not just the mission for, for any church that might choose to use that as the mission statement that it rallies itself around. What I want us to see and, and submit ourselves to over these next five weeks is an understanding that this is Christ's mission for his church. That when we embrace these things, it's not just because we think that's a clever mission statement that we want to rally around together. This is Christ's primary intention for his church, that we glorify him by being disciples who then in turn make disciples of all Nation. So let me just say right out of the gate here together with us this morning, for those of you, you you've spent a lot of time in the church, you've grown up in the church, you spent any amount of time in our church, there's not exactly going to be any groundbreaking revelation for you this morning. That there's not going to be anything uh, really that's, that's just going to blow your mind that you probably haven't heard before. If you spent any amount of time in the church, you've probably heard many of these things before. So the challenge you and I are going to face this morning, though, is to not take these things for granted. Because what tends to happen is that as a church family, we can stop paying attention to what Christ instructs us to do here in Matthew chapter 28. And then by the time we realize that we've not been doing what it is that Christ has called us to fulfill, we started to lose our life together as a church. And so for for a lot of us, it's not going to be anything new. 
but it is going to be a challenge to hear in new and fresh ways something old and to take an honest evaluation, examination of our hearts and our lives and say, not just do I know these verses, but am I actually being obedient to these things in my life? Are we fulfilling this together as a church? But uh, many others, you, you may be joining us today for the first time. You're new to the church. I've been in the church a while, first time with our church family. And this is going to be really helpful for you because it's going to give you uh, some very critical foundations that we hold on to as a church family that have served us well uh, here for a few years now, foundations that our church family uh, was, was built upon. And so my hope, uh, regardless of where you are in that conversation over these next five weeks, is that we will either discover or rediscover in fresh new ways God's plan and his purpose for the church and his calling on our lives, all of us as followers of Jesus. So uh, to set the stage for things before we come to Matthew 28, Matthew's provided up to this point in his gospel account, a detailed account of the life and ministry of Jesus. It covers his genealogy, his birth, his baptism, his teaching, his miracles, uh, his challenge of majority religious culture, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And now we're brought to his final moment with his disciples just before he ascends into heaven. So that's the scene here. And this is important because what we're going to see here in Matthew 28, if you're not familiar with this passage, these are Christ's parting words to his disciples. So he's spent three years with, with these guys. He's, he's done his ministry. They've seen it fully on display. He's not going to ascend into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And these are the last things he's going to share with his disciples. And this is important because this is in, in many ways uh, temporarily a farewell address to them before they're going to see him for, for some time again face to face. And so we need to pay really close attention here because this is not just the mission that Christ intended for his disciples to have in the first century. This is the mission that extends to us as followers of Christ today. So uh, word of the Lord here from Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him but some doubted. Verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority. Everyone say all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, everyone say always, to the end of the age. So over the next few weeks, this is going to be our, our passage. This is when our elders get up here and read, this is going to be the passage or challenge to you. If you haven't memorized this, is to memorize this, to internalize this, because these are Christ's primary instructions to uh, the New Testament church. And we want to center down on these truths. So uh, today we're going to look at how Christ and his authority calls us to go. And then next week we'll look uh, more specifically at his call to make disciples of all nations. Uh, the week after that, we'll look specifically at baptism. What is baptism? Uh, who should be baptized? When should we be baptized? Different perspectives on baptism our calling and fulfilling that in the Great Commission. Uh, the next week, what it means to be a church that teaches others uh, to obey or to observe all that he's commanded us to be a church that teaches the whole counsel of God's word. And then in the last week, we'll rest in that promise, I am with you always to the end of the age, which will focus on the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. So uh, if you're following along in your notes, there's one central truth that we really want to focus on this morning from Matthew 28. And it's this, that Jesus Christ is our ultimate authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says, and making disciples is our top priority. 
All authority belongs to Jesus. And in all of that authority, he's determined what we should be busy with is making disciples of all nations. Jesus is our ultimate authority. Making disciples is our top priority. Now, uh, before we go any further and really dig into the text here, Matthew 28, I want to qualify for us this term uh, disciple. Those of you uh, who have been through our membership class before or through our, our, uh, our meta training, um, things like this, the, the, this is going to be. This isn't going to be new to you. You're, you're going to recognize this. And it's going to be a little bit of a refresher for you. I want to make sure we're on the same page about uh, what it means to make disciples. If we're going to do this, we need to know what a disciple is. So uh, the word disciple, in its simplest form, just means learner or follower. If we just took it in its in its most simple form, and we could uh, draw though a little bit more elaborate, a basic definition of discipleship. Uh, from Matthew chapter four. This is at the calling uh, of the first disciples from Jesus. So Matthew four, Jesus is calling Simon and Andrew who are fishermen and he calls them to drop their nets uh, and follow after him. So this is the invitation of Matthew four nineteen. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fishers of men. So very basic definition of a disciple that we could draw from this. First, uh, a disciple is someone who knows Christ. Jesus says, follow me. Discipleship begins with knowing and following Christ. When Christ called those first disciples, it meant leaving their homes and their families. They completely surrendered their lives to him. And so to know Christ in a saving way means that we have metaphorically dropped our nets. We have left behind an old life. And, And for us spiritually, it means that we've left behind our sin. We've turned from our sin. We put our faith in Jesus and we're now following Christ. So at its simplest form, a disciple is someone who knows Christ. And then more specifically, a disciple is someone who grows in Christ. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you. Who's going to be doing the making in discipleship? Jesus, follow me and I will make you. Theologically, we call this progressive sanctification. So uh, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, believers in Jesus Christ, the moment we put our faith in Christ, we are in that moment justified meaning that our, our eternal, eternal security before God is sure and confident. We have been, uh, been declared innocent of our sin on behalf of the righteousness of God, that, that Christ has paid the ransom for our life. We are justified before God. He no longer sees us uh, in our sin. He sees us through the lenses of the perfection of his son, Jesus Christ. We die in that moment. Our eternal confidence before God is sure and secure. But in that moment of justification, the Lord also begins a process called sanctification. And by the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit, what he's doing progressively throughout all of our lives from the moment we come to know Christ until we see Jesus face to face is he is working within us to make us more like Jesus, to to chip away at our sin and at our old self, to convict us of sin, to empower us for ministry. He will make us. It's a progressive process that occurs throughout our entire lives. So a disciple knows Christ, grows in Christ. And third disciple, someone who goes for Christ. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And we're going to dig into this in depth next week, but that language there, fishers of men, was loaded with global implications. The, the, those first disciples who heard that, that call, when they heard that language, they immediately understood that what they were being called into was going to be a global mission. He's called us to pursue others and call them to follow Christ in the same way that he's called us to himself. All power and authority belong to Jesus Christ. And in that power and authority, the primary instruction that he's given us as his followers is to make disciples. This is important because this means for us, church, that discipleship is not an optional add-on. 
Discipleship is not a class. It is the foundational call of every follower of Christ. It's a lifestyle. It's the breath in our lungs. It's the sun in the sky. And it's the food on our table. It's the work that if we are not doing this, we have ceased to be the church as Christ has intended. Mike Breen has a really uh, helpful book called Building a Discipling Culture. And he, he makes a statement in this that I, I think is very defining and, and helps us understand uh, the difference between what Christ has called us to and a lot of what ministry has morphed into modern day. And so the, the statement he makes is, if you make disciples, you always get the church. But if you make a church, you rarely get disciples. Let me break that down here for just a moment, because what he's saying is what Christ has called us to is to make disciples. And when you look through the New Testament, everywhere disciples were made, local churches were established. It happened all throughout the first century. It's happened all across church history. So everywhere disciples are made, local churches are established. But, but I think we've confused this a little bit modern day to where instead of making disciples, what we've done is we sort of just, just, just uh, drop down into this work where, where we're suddenly just starting organizations. And, and those two things are not one and the same. And, and in a lot of ways that I think should really deeply concern us, a lot of modern ministry has become a cottage industry with the exclusive focus of just drawing a crowd every single week. And the way that I know this is uh, that, that I just, I get email and I really don't have to look any further than my email inbox uh, to know that this is true. So just the type of, of marketing emails I sometimes get from church consulting agencies and church growth groups and things like that. Here's one of the emails I got this past week. This is what was in the subject line. The proven strategy to get 200 new people in the door by the end of the month. Because that's the end game, right? Just get people to show up. And, and get your name on some church growth list and get some attention uh, nationally. That, that's the name of the game. Doesn't matter where they're coming from. Doesn't matter what's going on in their life. Just get them in the door. The name of the game is attendance. A few years ago, when we were uh, evaluating church planting networks that we wanted to be a part of, uh, there, there's one a very prominent church planting network nationally. Lots of, lots of growth. A lot of churches that were, uh, that were they were starting to get connected to this particular group. I get on their website and it was loaded with language about, about building an entertaining and engaging Sunday morning experience and not one single word on the entire website about making disciples. And, and I, I think it's just a sad narrative uh, of what it is that, that we've sort of devolved into in, in church culture where this, this focus is on drawing a crowd, but church, you and I need to be discerning and understand Jesus himself drew a crowd but Jesus himself was engaged in making disciples and we have to be discerning and wise and realize that a crowd is not always a church. 10,000 people may be showing up every single week and, and our church is no exception to this. This could happen here. Hundreds, thousands of people could show up every single week and not one single disciple be made. You know, we do this really weird thing in our culture where like, well, we'll look at a church and like it's growing, exploding. And, and we're like, well, man, they must be doing something right. Yeah, because remember all those verses in the Bible that Jesus said, hey, if everybody's doing it, it must be right. There's none of this here. And that, that's why we just have to continually be recentering ourselves on the Great Commission. Okay, where's the gospel being preached? How are disciples being made? How are the nations being engaged? How is God's mission being fulfilled through his people? Our calling as a church is not to perform and entertain, it's to preach and to equip. This is the calling of the church of Jesus Christ. And I just wanna ask us, is, before we dive right back into Matthew 28 here, I want you to just be very, very honest with yourself this morning. Very, very honest. If we took away everything that we do on Sunday morning that's peripheral, that's a little bit of an add-on. Okay, let, let's say we did not have a full children's ministry going on right behind us here. 
Let's say that we really just strip down the music, maybe just one person singing or maybe just one person with a, a guitar. And what we said is going to happen every single week is one person's going to stand up here and open God's word and just try to faithfully teach what it says. We're going to take communion. We're going to go home. And that's all we're going to do as a church on Sunday morning. Let me ask you, would that be enough for you? Would that be enough for you to draw you back? And it's important that we ask ourselves that, that question, because particularly when you parallel our situation here in the West, like with brothers and sisters in Syria right now, I want you to, to, to think about how asinine this sounds. We have brothers and sisters in Christ in Syria. Their primary concern this morning is staying alive. And, and can you imagine that this, this, this little huddle of believers, six, eight, maybe 10 of them who get together every single Sunday, probably sitting in somebody's living room, maybe showed up at the risk of their own life. Can you imagine one of them waking up on a Sunday morning and saying something like, I don't know that I really want to go anymore because I don't like the music there. They don't really have enough programs for us. Come on. We, we got to be honest. Is this word enough for us? Is it enough for us to know this word, to be fed from this word, so that we in turn can go feed others with this word? Because that's what Jesus has called us to. And sometimes I think we really, really get mixed up with, uh, by calling peripheral things and necessary things. The only thing that is necessary for a faithful church to exist and thrive is that we preach the gospel and we make disciples. That's what Jesus has called us to. So when we get back to Matthew 28, verse 16 begins by saying that the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Now, just to speed you up in the gospel account, if you've not read the gospel of Matthew, many of us know we're, we're down a man now at this point, right? How many did we used to have? We had 12, and, uh, but Judas at this point, he's betrayed Jesus. He's, he's, uh, he's dead and gone at this point in time. And so uh, Matthias does not replace Judas until Acts chapter one. So there's still 11 at this point in time. And then uh, Luke 24 tells us that Jesus ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olives. And so it's uh, likely the disciples were joined by many others because in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul notes that the risen Christ had appeared to more than 500 others during the resurrection. It's probably a pretty sizable group that had gathered together here for his extension. And one of the more human moments that you will see unfold in all of scripture takes place here in verse 17, where Matthew notes that when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Now, I want you to think about this for just a second, because if you're anything like me, you've probably said something like this. My faith would be so much stronger. My faith would be unshakable if I could have just walked with Jesus and saw what the disciples saw. We got to be careful with that because Matthew 28, 17 says, no, you wouldn't. Th these people had seen Jesus come back from the grave. I mean, just, just think about this for just a moment. They saw physically Jesus live. They saw physically Jesus die on a cross and then Jesus was dead and then he wasn't which is unusual, right? Like not something that, that just normally happens. And you just look at this, you're like, what else does Jesus have to do to, to, to get us to the place? And I think it's just a, it's a testimony to just how, how sinful we are. We, we get so stuck in, in our doubts and in our questions and we, we have difficulty believing. So in spite of everything that they had seen, in spite of watching Jesus overcome the grave, there's still lots of people there going, I'm, I'm really not sure about what's happening here. So listen, if you are here this morning and that's you, you're asking that question, how do I engage in the mission of God? How, how do I just personally faithfully follow Jesus? How do I fulfill his mission? And you have doubts and you have questions. Listen, you're in some really good company. And, and what we need to see here right out of the gate is that Jesus in no way, shape, or form is limited by those questions and those doubts. 
It's a human moment. This is what I love about the Bible. It's just this ruthless honesty about what's happening there in their hearts. When they saw him, some worshiped, but some doubted, which is why what Jesus says next in verse 18 carries so much weight. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How does Jesus speak to their doubts? How does Jesus speak to their questions? It's not by initially loading them down with instructions of things to do. Jesus does not begin the great commission with an instruction to do. He begins the great commission with a revelation of who he is. So you're standing there, they're they're in that doubt, they're in that fear, they're in that security, they're they're stuck in their heads, they've got all their questions. How does he initially speak to that? Not by giving them instruction, but by showing them revelation, making a declaration. All authority belongs to me. You feel powerless, you feel helpless, you feel like you can't do this on your own, that's fine because I have all authority. So just some basics here that we see unfolding out of the Great Commission. The the way that we need to see the structure of the Great Commission starts like this. Uh, First, we see that Christ has all power. He has all power. Do not skip this. Do not skip this, because if we miss what Jesus reveals about himself here, every effort and attempt you and I make to fulfill the Great Commission is doomed to fail from the start. As Jesus is standing here, he's surrounded by doubters, surrounded by those full of fear and uncertainty, and he does not first speak to that doubt with an instruction to do. He speaks to that doubt with the revelation of who he is. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's how he speaks to the doubts, by establishing who he is. The trouble that you and I face today is that we live in a culture that really struggles with both the word and the notion of authority. Because for, for many in our culture today, particularly when it's coming from the church, when we say the word authority, what many hear is authoritarian. And that's a negative word, right? And so we quickly conflate the two and then we dismiss both together. They hear saying authoritarian, and that's a negative word because because it carries with it a sense of of imagery of being domineering or abrasive or abusive. But in this context here, yes, Christ's authority is a challenge to us. But embracing his authority and, and recognizing his authority, it's not just meant to be a challenge to us. It's meant to be a comfort. And it's a comfort because as he's declaring that he has all power and authority in heaven and on earth, he's making it known in this statement that the fulfillment of the Great Commission is not going to be limited by our inadequacy. This is an encouragement to us. We have doubts, we have questions, we have insecurities, we have our inability. Jesus speaks into all that and says, you don't have any authority, that's fine because I have all of it. And we get to rest in that confidence. And here is why we want it to be true that Jesus has all authority over everything. Turn with me uh, for just a moment to Romans chapter eight. Very famous passage here in Romans eight at the end of the chapter. Uh, We're gonna read together verses 31 through 39 here quickly. So uh, when we get to the end of Romans eight, this is a summary statement for Paul. Uh, Up to this point in time, he said lots of things about how there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. This is the beginning of Romans eight, Romans five, how uh, God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so this is now a bit of a summary of some of those uh, statements that he's made up to this point in the book of Romans. And so here's what he says in summary here in verse 31. He says, What then shall we say to these things? 
That things like there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. What shall we say? He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. So he asks again, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, Paul says, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, and I love this, nor anything else. Just in case that that first list didn't quite do it for you, anything else in all of creation. And why can he confidently say that? Because Christ has said, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. So Paul says, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so we rest in his authority. Yes, it does challenge us, but it brings us this comfort because if he has authority over all things, that means there is nothing that can separate us from his love. And that's good news for us. But his authority is still a challenge. And here's a picture of that challenge. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And we'll read together here uh, verses 8 through 11. And this is the challenge of his authority. And Paul writes at this point of, of Jesus, he says, being found in human form, this is what Jesus did. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is important. His authority does bring us comfort, but it also brings us challenge. And the question you and I have to ask ourselves this morning, if we as, as individuals, if we as a church family, we get to a place where we are struggling to, to be obedient to what Christ commands here in the Great Commission, to be disciples who are making disciples to the ends of the earth, if we're struggling in our walk of the Lord, trying to be faithful, but, but just coming to a place where we, we just can never consistently seem to, to be and do what God calls us to be and do, could it be that we are struggling with the priority of discipleship because we've not yet submitted to the authority of his lordship? Because before we can make disciples, we have to be disciples. And, and we become disciples only by surrendering ourselves and our lives completely to him and calling on him as Lord. And when we do this, there's nothing that can separate us from his love because he has authority over all things. So his authority is a comfort and it's a challenge and it's our foundational starting point for the great commission. Let's read verse 18 and 19. Now this is our plan. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So in light of that, go therefore. Go therefore. So again, go in light of what we just saw in verse 18. The fact that all authority and power belong to him. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always 
to the end of the age. So first, Christ has all power. And second, in light of that power, we see that Christ gave us a plan. He has all authority over all things. And in that authority, he has given us instruction. So when someone says they have all authority over everything, like we should probably perk up and listen, right? Jesus could have said anything here. He said all, he could have said all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go therefore and sit in a building one day a week. He doesn't say that. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Uh, Go pray a prayer at five years old in vacation Bible school. Never demonstrate any transformation in your life, but keep calling yourself a Christian. He could have said that, but he doesn't. He says, go therefore and make disciples. And when he establishes that authority and then gives this instruction, this is something we need to pay attention to because this means this is the primary work that we have called ourselves to, but we have to rest in his authority in order to accomplish this because think about how daunting this task is. I mean, think about how impossible and immense the task is that he's calling them to here. So let's just look at each basic component of this plan. First is the instruction to go. So this is going to involve some kind of leaving. I was reading this morning in uh, our our Bible reading plan. Many of you I know are walking through that today. And today's reading uh, was God's call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, how he instructs him to leave his family, leave his home, to step out in faith and to follow him and to trust his provision and trust the promise that he'll make a great nation. So this instruction to go, it's, it's going to involve some sort of leaving leaving home, leaving comfort. For many of them, it's going to mean leaving family. Second, the instruction, make disciples. Specifically, what he's calling them to do is to go do with others what he's done with them. And this is not going to be a popular mission because this is going to involve going to people who worship other gods, who are part of other religious systems, who worship false gods, and, and they're going to speak to those people and say, don't follow that God anymore, follow Jesus. And that's not going to be a popular message. It's definitely not a popular message today. It certainly wasn't a popular message way back in the first century. It's calling people out of sin into new life in Jesus Christ to leave behind their sin, to leave behind their religious efforts and rebellious pursuits and submit to Jesus Christ as the sovereign Lord of their life. And even more than that, he says, make disciples of all nations. And we're going to look at this more specifically in depth next week. But, but what we're, we're going to study next week is that th- this is not just a call to take the gospel to all the countries that we see on the map, 200 something. This is a call to the, the Panta Ta Ethne. That's all peoples, all ethnicities, every people group, of which currently today there's, there's 16,000 distinct people groups in this world. And as you and I sit here this morning, 6,500 of those people groups remain unreached, meaning that they have limited to no access to the gospel. It's a daunting task. And he tells them to baptize them. So this is going to be, this is not going to be a private thing. There's going to be a public declaration that that people are going to make. It's going to set them apart from the rest of the world. And so for the first century Christians and for countless believers across the centuries, this is going to cost them their jobs. It's going to cost them their homes. It's going to cost them their families. And many of them cost them their lives as they publicly declare their faith in Christ. Fourth, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. I don't know about y'all. I got a hard enough time obeying myself, right? Like now we're going to teach others to obey all (laughs) that he's commanded us. There are going to be people who teach the whole counsel of God's word, not just the parts that we like and make us comfortable and look good on coffee cups. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. This is a daunting task. And it's being handed to a group of doubters. People with questions in their hearts, which is why Jesus assures them in that moment of powerlessness, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. 
And that's the authority that's going to go with us as we accomplish this plan. Mark Dever has a, a really helpful short book called Discipling. We've defined what is a disciple. Now, what about the act of discipling? And he said very simply in that book, discipling is helping others follow Jesus. It's a great basic definition. He says, it's doing them spiritual good. But to fill all that out, discipling is initiating a relationship in which you teach, correct, model, and love. And it takes great humility. Great humility. Even the greatest heroes of Christian faith, including the apostles themselves, every great missionary across the history of the church, have just been experienced moments where absolutely overwhelmed by the immensity of the task that they've been called to. Let's listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. Just a, a moment here in Scripture, I think, of his transparency and vulnerability in 2 Corinthians 2. So he is engaged on the front lines in the advance of the gospel. And again, we, I think, like a lot of times to think of the Apostle Paul, he's sort of a superhero, right? He's got his cape blowing in the wind to live as Christ and to die as gain, you know? And we, we love that. But listen to this moment of Paul where you, it's just abundantly clear his, his own growing sense of inadequacy. This is what he says. He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one, a fragrance from death to death to the other, a fragrance from life to life. And he just asks this question, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? And he says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. So Paul's making it clear, we're not doing this for profit. We're not doing this because we want to be popular, because we want to be known, because we want to be seen. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. You know, I, I, many of you have experienced this in your, your faith journey. I've certainly experienced this in 15 years of, of ministry, just moments where I, I am completely overwhelmed by the immensity of the task in front of us. I mean, even this past week, just sitting in my office and I'm just reflecting on needs within our own church family, within our community, just being overwhelmed by those staggering numbers, 6,500 people groups limited to no access to the gospel. I, I just look down the barrel of that sometimes and I can't help but ask that question, Lord, who is sufficient for these things? And the answer is evident here in Matthew 28. None of us are, but he is. The one who holds all authority is sufficient for these things. It's amazing. We'll, we'll look at this in a few weeks. This is why I think when Jesus instructs his disciples uh, at the end of the Great Commission is what we'll see a little bit in Acts chapter one as well. It's always interested me that he, he doesn't just uh, break the huddle here and tell them, okay, guys, get to work. What does he tell them to do? He says, go to Jerusalem and do what? Pray and what? Wait. <laughs> I love this. Because he's, he's telling him, he's like, don't, don't do this without the Holy Spirit. Don't even try this. Like, Peter, you especially, you would mess this up so bad. Like, just, just go and wait. That This task is so immense, and it's absolutely nothing we can do on our own. Christian, understand the mission that God has called us to individually and collectively as a body of believers, it is impossible apart from him. And, and we, we push against this because we are a very pragmatic driven culture. And we tend to gravitate, gravitate towards uh, teaching and towards books that empowers our flesh, that makes us think we're in control and we're channeling the inner, whatever it is we're channeling these days. You have the Holy Spirit, by the way, you don't need that. And, and so whatever it is we're pressing into, we love to feel like we're in control and you can do this. And we look at this in Matthew 28 and the answer is clear. No, we can't, not on our own. But God's given us everything that we need in Christ, which is why he leaves them with this in verse 20. 
Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Christ has all power. He has given a plan. And third, we see that Christ has made a promise. I'm with you always to the end of the age. That means right now. Right now, as we sit in this room, the very power that raised Christ from the dead, if you are in Christ, that power is within you. It will be with you when you sit in your car and you leave. And when you go to lunch today, and when you take a nap this afternoon, when you go to bed tonight, when you go to work tomorrow, and you're overwhelmed by work, and you're overwhelmed by family, and you're overwhelmed by life, always, to the end of the age. Don't just look at the Great Commission as our instruction of what to do. We look at the Great Commission as a revelation of who Jesus is. So this morning, you're here in the place and you're like, I I am absolutely powerless to do anything about this. What does Jesus say to the powerless person? All authority belongs to me. I don't need you to have any power. All authority belongs to me. What what about the person who's just struggling? You you feel alone in your place of work. You feel alone in your family. You feel alone in your home trying to faithfully follow Jesus. The person who feels alone, what is his promise there? I'm with you always to the end of the age. And in John 16, Jesus makes an absolutely staggering claim about this promise. This is what Jesus says to his disciples in John 16. He's preparing to pray for them. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, to your advantage that I go away. For I do, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Did you catch what Jesus just said there? Because we, we ask this question all the time. Like, what could, what could possibly be better than having physically walked with Jesus? Well, according to Jesus, what's even better than having him physically beside you is having him spiritually within you. And that's what we have today. And church, these are two very critical questions I think we have to ask ourselves because if if we are in any capacity going to fulfill the mission that God has given to us as his followers to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations, we have to ask ourselves these questions. Do I believe that the power of Christ is with me always? That's the first question. And the second question is this. Do I believe that that power within me is greater than Jesus beside me? Because that's a big claim that Jesus makes here in John. And yet this is what he tells us that it's actually better for us to have the Holy Spirit. You and I have something better than what the apostles had in physically walking with Jesus, according to Jesus. So so do we believe that this is true? So uh, as we we wrap up this morning, this is what I want us to do. We're going to look at uh, a few foundational questions for faithful discipleship. And this is intended for us to be uh, reflection, introspection, evaluation uh, of our own hearts. And and this will hopefully lead to some uh, continued reflection this week, application in your life, discussion uh, in your community groups as well. So three foundational questions for faithful discipleship. The first is a question of authority where we ask ourselves, where do I need to surrender? You will not be engaged in his priority of discipleship if you are not submitted to the authority of his lordship. It starts with the recognition of who he is, not the instruction of what he calls us to do. And and there's a question that many evangelists ask sometimes that I fear can have a really devastating effect and impact on our understanding of salvation. It's this. I know that this this question is well-intentioned. I don't think there's any harm meant by it, but I do think it's a bit uh, detrimental. And this is the question that's very often asked. Have you made Jesus your personal Lord and Savior? 
And that question is fundamentally flawed. There's a fundamental problem with that question. And here is the problem with that question. It's that you and I don't make Jesus Lord. Beginning here of the Great Commission, Jesus lays down the gauntlet. All authority belongs to me. We saw it in Philippians chapter two. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is Lord whether we recognize it or not. He doesn't need us to make him Lord of of anything. And, And what we find from the words of Paul is that there's coming a day where every single knee, whether it's willing or unwilling, is going to bow and come to the recognition that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whether we recognize him as Lord is is really inconsequential. He is the Lord. He's Lord of all. And have we surrendered ourselves to that lordship? Have we surrendered ourselves to his authority? You're here today as a follower of Christ. I think this is a place of introspection, evaluation for us. Because we're still prone in our sin to fall away. We're still prone to have areas of our life that we shut off to the Lord. I think we just need to be very honest and just just asking ourselves, Lord, what, what am I withholding from you? Have we surrendered everything that we have to him? Because he's either the Lord of all or he's the Lord not at all. Have we given him our homes? Have we given him our, our families and our finances and our time and our energy and our resources? Have we, we laid that all out before him and said, this belongs to you and surrendered to the authority of his lordship. And maybe you're here today, you're not a follower of Jesus. The hope is that you would see that he's absolutely worthy of your life. That in surrendering to that authority, you also lay claim to his authority over life and death itself and the confidence of knowing that if you call on him as Lord, there's nothing that will ever separate you from his love. Are we surrendered to his authority? The second is a question of maturity where we ask ourselves very simply, now, where do I need to grow? I think across the the room this morning is we're going to be in this for about four or five weeks, but maybe just starting a question in your heart and just asking, where do I land in this plan of making disciples? Now, now listen, for for many of you, honestly, like you, you might be, we've got lots of new believers in in Jesus in our church. That's exciting. Or maybe you're, you're not even a follower of Christ, or you've recently become a follower of Christ. You're coming back to the church for the first time in a long time. And, and listen, there's certainly some ways that you can begin to engage and to serve and be connected within the body of Christ. But, but for this season, while you're growing in your faith, that, that needs to be your posture simply is just to learn and to grow. And, and let us serve you. You need to be nurtured with the word, to receive the word, to understand the word with the hope that as you grow and mature, you will one day turn around and you'll be sharing the word uh, with others yourself. And that's, that's perfectly okay. That does not make you a lesser Christian. That does not make you a, a second-class citizen within the body of, of Christ. You know, just uh, because my youngest son, Lincoln, going back to him, doesn't have a job, doesn't mean he's not a member of the family. It's like, hey, we're, we're just gonna kind of call you offspring until you start contributing some finances around here. No, he's in our family. It doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual journey. All of us equal in the eyes of God. And you can embrace that season that you're in of needing to learn and grow and develop. But for for many others, there is a bit of a challenge here this morning where you are gifted to lead others. You are gifted to teach others. You are gifted to serve others. And the challenge for you this morning, and I think over the next five weeks, is finding your place in this plan to make disciples. I want to say something this morning. It's going to challenge you just a little bit, but I want to, want to leave it uh, just enough to frustrate you as you leave today, if that's okay. If God has gifted you to lead, if God has gifted you to teach, if God has gifted you to serve, whether that's all up front or all behind the scenes, whatever it is, whatever God has gifted you to do, he has not primarily gifted you to lead, to teach, or to serve so that you can make a wage 
He has primarily gifted you to lead or teach and serve so that you will make disciples. That is primarily why God has, has gifted you. We, we do this thing in our culture right now where, where and I get it, man. I, I was in the, worked in the private sector for, for a few years, retail management where I'm going through seminary and I get the, the chaos and the busyness of all that. But we do this thing where like, hey, I lead all week long. I teach all week long. I serve all week long. So I want to show up on Sunday morning and I just want to sort of receive and, and be in that posture. And I, I just really want to challenge you. Watch what happens when you start to approach your faith where you say, Lord, you get the first of all of that. You get the best of my teaching. You get the best of my leading. You get the best of my serving for the building up of the local church. And then watch what he starts to do in your life, in your workplace, as you teach, as you serve behind the scenes. That's our challenge. God has primarily gifted us not to make money, but to make disciples. And we do that within the context of the local church. So third is a question of identity where we just ask ourselves now, who do I need to become? Who do I need to become? Where do we submit to his authority? Where do we need to grow? Where do we need to grow maturity? Who do we need to become? As followers of Jesus, all of our doing flows from our being. Before we can make disciples, we have to be disciples. So for many of you this morning, the, the, the first step maybe needs to be becoming a disciple. It's submitting to the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ, of calling him, calling on him as Lord and repenting of your sin and putting your faith in Jesus, trusting in him for your salvation and becoming a disciple so that you in turn can make disciples. But for many of us as well as, as followers of Jesus, I think it's maybe just in a place this morning where, where there's lost a little bit of zeal, lost a little bit of energy, lost a little bit of enthusiasm not feeling as bold as you would like to feel and engage in this mission, not feeling as confident as you would like to feel. And, and typically the reason we get into these ruts as followers of Jesus is not because we don't know what to do, but it's because we lose sight of who he is. And what needs to happen this morning is that we need to remember that he has all authority and we need to remember that he is with us always. And we need to remember that the victory has already been won through Jesus Christ so that we can stop every single day fighting for our victory and start walking in the victory that's already been given to us in Jesus. So the point is here is what we close to the words of Paul from 1 Corinthians 15. And this is how he encourages the believers as they're weary in faith, as he reminds them of the victory in Christ and then the life that he calls them to in response. 1 Corinthians 15, 54, he says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's the revelation of who Jesus is and what he's done. He has won the victory over death itself. And so in light of that, here's the response. He says, therefore, so in light of that, in light of that victory, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. You and I are absolutely insufficient for the task that God has called us to. This plan is bigger than every single one of us, but the one who calls us to go as light into the darkness is the one who has conquered and overcome the grave. And Christian, understand this morning, the same power and authority that has called you to go is the same power and authority that goes with the call. He is with us always, and he is with us 
to the end of the age. So Father, we come to you and we praise you and we thank you for this promise that you are victorious, that you have authority over all things, that you are with us always. So Father, help us to be obedient to the instruction that you've given to us through your son, to be making disciples of all nations, to baptize them in your name, to teach them to observe all that you've commanded and to do it all in the confidence of knowing that you are with us to the end of the age. Help us to be a people who are steadfast and immovable, who are always abounding in your work. Would your authority be our foundation? Would your presence be our confidence? And today, this morning, Father, even with with all of our questions, with all of our doubts, with all of our insecurities, could we come to the one who has all power? We feel lonely and isolated as we try to do this. Could we remember the one who is with us always? And help us to be a people who live and walk in the power of your Holy Spirit as we fulfill your priority for your church, which is to preach the gospel and to make disciples.